0: We'll be talking today about uh, sort of macro, what the CPI print means. Nash has quite a bit of a background um, uh, in that area. And then we'll be talking about JUSDC, which is this new product from uh, Jonesdale. And then we'll be talking about sort of what we think about what's happening with Olympus and kind of where that's going in the future. Nash is just... Getting uh, a little snack for his kid, um, and we'll be <laughs> oh, yeah. out of the kitchen oh, no. soon. Um, I, so. am,
1: I am out of the kitchen and into the
0: frying pan. I don't know. All right, <laughs> supervision time. Um, all right, so Nach, tell us what tell us what you think about the uh, CPI print yesterday. What what do you think's going on with that? It yeah, seemed I mean, like I, pretty expected.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The analysts did their job, right? Uh, <laughs> everything was like kind of in line. I don't know. It, it felt very much like a like a Goldie number. So it was just I don't know. It was one of those things where you kind of you kind of have to look at this thing with rose colored glasses. Um, on one hand, you have. CPI that is lowering slowly Um, I had posted a series of tweets Um, one of them someone reminded me that 2.7% of kind of inflation is going to be falling off um, the year over year at some point here in the next two months Uh, I, I have another take on it which is that I think, and this kind of goes in line with some of the folks that I read and that I respect. Um, I think the biggest problem that we're going to see is that the Treasury needs to fund six trillion dollars, and they've got to find buyers for that six trillion dollars. And you have, from you know, last year, tons of money managers that had an incredible run where all they really had to do was pick up u.s denominated securities and then what you had was you had this spread between their currency in their local markets Mm. and the actual uh you know the dollars and that's a huge reason why you had between the two they had to cover that spread in the dollars because they were it's basically like a relative value trade they had they were forced to, to buy dollars To cover themselves for these T-bills, which, you know, (laughs) you had the Dixie, which is the dollar index, end up running up into the, you know, one teens. And my prediction was 115. It got to like 114 and then it stopped. I was like, oh, man. I had it pinned for so long, too. I was like, come on, you know, 115 print. But in any case, you know, that, that trade happened. And so now you've got all these guys that add all these dollars and I think a lot of people think that you're going to see, um, not only weakening in the Dixie, which is what we've seen. So weakening of the dollar, but strength in European markets. So like the FTSE is within 2% or 1% of the, you know, if it's high, uh, you have other markets that are performing quite well overseas. So. What I'm trying to say here is that you've got to find people that are willing to buy these treasures. And if you believe that the Fed is going to continue to raise rates, at least in the short term, you've got to find buyers of this paper knowing that they're going to have to hold it to maturity. That puts an incredible amount of pressure on
0: private companies. Well, doesn't that that just wreck treasury markets, right? Isn't that why the interventions happen?
1: Well, 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 that's that's the thing, right, is that I think everybody is expecting the Fed to pivot, but I think what people don't realize is that the Fed is going to have to come in and intervene, but not in the way that they're used to seeing. The Fed is going to have to come in, in my opinion, to stabilize the treasury market. Because I don't think that they're going to find buyers for all this stuff. And if the Fed is coming in and doing yield curve control, I mean, yeah, obviously they'll do it better than Japan and just continues to embarrass themselves, but if they're gonna do Well, they're, in, that a thing, they're, up, they're, they're like, in a tough position, they what a else can they do? Right? They're in a horrible position. I mean what they need to do is just take the pain. But there's no appetite <laughs> for that. There's yeah. just no appetite. There never it's, is it, it's a it's a country full of of retirees mm. and they they have they have bigger problems than than debt, yeah.
0: you know. Um, so I, I saw that there's like 93% of analysts think that 25% in February is a lock and then like 75% think that 25 in February is a lock. So I think the, is that, do you think that's indicative right. that the markets kind of already priced that in? Like we won't see a big reaction to either of those if they, if they kind of um, come come to, come into being. And, and therefore, like, what we're actually looking at now is those two rate rises already priced in and that people have some certainty. And that's why we're seeing, like, decisions in the last week to buy. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think that's probably right. I, I think certainty helps markets, but I also think everybody is positioned incredibly bearishly going into the new year. <laughs> yeah Um, generally speaking when people are over bearish uh that's one of the better times to do a short-term trade but like it you know if you bring this back to crypto there was nothing but air between where we were in november and twenty thousand. yeah this is where you start to hit air pockets i mean it took practically nothing to get down to this point that we were at uh in november it, and it took practically nothing for it to levitate. There's a whole book of sell orders that are waiting for these levels. Um, you know, look, we market took a shot at four thousand a day on the S and P. You know, we closed below it. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin was testing twenty thousand. Who knows if it'll break it? But the point is, does it meaningfully close a weekly candle above it? That's what you have to see you know these daily
0: gyrations
1: are yeah you
0: know, i think we're at 19881 for bitcoin and 1456 for eth yeah um you know these are the levels where
1: for a long time it was 19891 was the big level and closes below it were are bearish closes above it we're we you know we're bullish it was just difficult to kind of you know convince people of that at the time but i think now you can go back and look you know these are really really historically important levels if you look left and i just you know I, frankly i'm surprised that ETH held on to the merge gains as well as it did mm. uh,
0: i mean there's just not that many sellers left is the kind of consensus right well, like well <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's always sellers, right? There's always but, like, sellers.
1: For the there's right price, always... there's always a seller, and there's always a yeah. buyer.
0: Yeah. I'll
1: I mean, say I... this. I, I, I am. A, I am very pleased with how well the market digested FTX because uh, um, it could have been a lot worse. But again, <laughs> there's this meme I post sometime, and it's of that bear, and he's on a wrecking ball, and it says another traumatizing event. They're looking into Gemini.
0: (laughs) Gemini is kind of a small exchange, right? They did like 45 million, one day last week, I saw they did like 45 million in volume, which is like. Right, but the question is like, (laughs) it's like you have
1: those guys and then you have, how is it that they are connected to Barry and that whole investigation on lending who are the counterparties you had Winklevoss one of the Winklevoss twins that got named in a complaint yeah any any time you see these guys it's like you gotta you gotta think all right you, you, you you hope for an orderly unwind if there is an unwind I think so far given how bad these black swan events have been um You know, you got to feel pretty good about what we've gone through as an industry over the last six months and where we are now. So,
0: what do you think about? Oh, sorry, just maybe I'll clarify one thing. So, the when you say the weekly close, just for like people who are listening, in stocks, that's sort of like we look at what happens on the Friday and sort of all the buys and the sells for the week and yep. sort of what does the candle look like. But for crypto, does that extend to like Sunday to Sunday? Sunday.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's Sunday. Yeah. So you got to see that
0: Sunday close. Yeah. Um, so that's, it, that's like just looking at, well, this is what we did in the week because, you know, you got to take some measurement somewhere and a week is a good <laughs> bit of data. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to your initial query about the the CPI, um, you know, I think my my problem here, going back to all of this, is that there has to be an ultimate buyer for all of this debt. And if you're rolling debt or buying debt at a much higher rate, your interest expense is a lot worse. Uh, I I just, I, I think that what 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 makes me bearish on what's happening with the CPI, the pace of deceleration, is that if the Fed if you could tell me that the Fed would be able to get down to the low fours by the end of the year and then meaningfully get into the low threes by summer twenty four, I would feel pretty decent about the Fed's ability to come in and intervene to try and smooth out anything that might need to happen. The problem is, is that at these levels, the Fed can't do anything. And you have wars going on right now, multiple wars going on right now. You have supply chains broken down right now. You have, uh, uh, economies that are fighting each other in China versus the United States with regards to technology and other things. You have embargoes and when you have war finance, you're supposed to have higher inflation to be able to finance these things. We are doing the opposite right now. We are pulling back on spending um, with regards to inflating the debt, uh, growing our treasury. It is a very, very, very difficult time. Uh, I am not smart enough to see the way through <laughs> this thing. I, I could just tell you that at least in the midterm in the next year, um, I think there's a relatively decent chance if you blinked and it was the end of the year, maybe we're around where we are right now with regards to traditional markets. But when it comes to uh, crypto, you know, it's it's anybody's guess. I yeah. just tell you that, you know, you got to really, really know what you're comfortable with from a risk setting. Mm. That's, that's
0: half the battle, really. I think so. I think the bull kind of case for ETH is that they don't have the structural selling from the miners anymore, right? Well, that's like right. I don't know, ninety-five percent reduction there. So, and then the people who are currently um, have who who are earning the rewards um, from ETH are people who already own ETH, right? Unless they've got some. Product where they're borrowing ETH to mine the brain. but I mean that there's no there's no real structured products around that yet. And even if there were, the kind of the cost you would pay for the pleasure of mining ETH would probably be around the sort of staking rate anyway. So, um, so you have these bunch of people who are <clears throat> already think ETH is a good asset to own who are the ones who are receiving the rewards rather than miners dumping them. It is interesting to see the the
1: real like uh, narrative around Coinbase ETH, Frax has an ETH that's really good. I don't know why pe- more people aren't looking at this. Rocket Pool ETH, Stake ETH. Um, yeah. the, the Coinbase ETH, there was actually an ARB for a while. I wonder if it's still going on, where uh, with CB ETH, you'd actually be able to uh, pick it up below par.
0: Um, be you love though, a good but, ARB, no? <laughs> so you should check out what pendle are doing where they're sort of selling the future yield of the eth for some of these products um i think um ice cream did a like legendary um <laughs> butterfly using pendle one time he did, he did. yeah I, I think one of
1: the one of the interesting things about pendle though is that um with pendle You know, there's a lot of that. That market has to be liquid and flush enough for you to kind of make that stuff work. And I think one of the biggest things that we've seen right now is that liquidity on options and everything, futures uh, have gotten quite thin, and it's definitely difficult to do a decent size trade. But like, uh, there are protocols like Euler. If you've uh, if you're familiar with or Euler, excuse me. I keep. Oh yes, I (laughs) partake. I know. In my mind, I think Ruler, but it's Euler, it's the mathematician. So <laughs> with Euler, uh, they've actually spun up lending markets on like all these things. So it, it's pretty neat. Um, we may or may not have a product coming out soon that may or may not be taking advantage of that. And when I say soon, I mean <laughs> probably like second quarter next year. Um, yeah. We're just kind of, like, agreeing on, like, the how it'll work. We just have to find time to build this damn thing. Yeah. So, second quarter this year.
0: Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll jump into JUSDC, but, um, which is the Zonesdale product. Sorry. quick uh, one, Nash is looking after his kid at the moment, who's a little bit sick. <laughs> oh,
1: it, sorry if she's being loud. All right. He's chasing me around with a mouthful of goldfish. It's actually quite amusing. <laughs> I'll I'll mute when I'm not talking to make it easier.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. Um. So. Uh. T- so maybe we'll just finish out the CPI, um, and the macro stuff. And um. So once we have, say, we do have 25 points in February and 25 in March, do you think that that's the like end of? I, I mean. Is that the end of kind of rate rises for the foreseeable future? That's what I kind of feel it is, unless they get some, unless they keep on seeing inflation go up, which would be why they would do it. But the, um, but they kind of, they don't want rates to go up much more because they're the ones paying for the cost of those high rates because the government's borrowing money through the bonds, right?
1: I, I mean, I think. I I think they would probably got two more rate rises in them in the it. because I think uh, Powell has said pretty much that he would rather be on the side of over-raising than under-raising. The Fed is traditionally overshot. They've stayed in for longer than they should have. They've been out for longer than they were supposed to. Uh, I think they got two twenty fives and then they're done. Yeah. So
0: the genuine generally they would take a pause here right because inflation started to recede but well, the market's I mean, kind of expected. these guys never
1: look at real data that's the thing they always <laughs> look in the past it's it's the biggest criticism anybody could ever have of them is they're always looking at at old data yeah and it, it's just it's very confounding
0: um, yeah. you know. well they could get the data real time if they, <laughs> Oh, of course they could pay the price um <laughs> Of course they'd be costly, but um probably less costly for the economy. Um so <laughs> che- cheaper than a quarter bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think generally like they would pause here, but the market said, Okay, pal, we believe you. You're kind of like a bit of a psychopath and you're gonna keep r- raising and we think it's gonna be two more twenty five points already in. So yeah, I think I think people who are worried that there'll be like two more rate rises and what impact that would have. I think just understanding that there's kind of consensus around the fact that it's the two twenty-five points might um, help in understanding kind of what's going on. Um, All right, let's talk about JUSDC. I'll have a stab at describing it, and then you tell me yeah, what I got wrong. Um, <laughs> So. We have GLP, which is um, on GMX, which is a, a sort of perpetuals protocol. You can go on there and you can buy like up to 50 times leverage trades for like ETH, BTC, Uni, Compound, etc. Um, <clears throat> so you go on there and you can do that. And the way they manage it is they have this um, general liquidity pool which is you can buy sort of an asset and the asset is like, I think it's like 35% now ETH, like 15% Bitcoin and then like 2% compound, 1% or 2% uni, 1% compound and then uh, 2% chain link. And then the rest is stable coins, um, mostly USDC, but also frax and USDT and Dai and stuff. Um, so, The fees from the longs and the shorts um, perpetual products are um, given to the 70% is given to the GLP holders, so the people who bought that asset and are holding it. And then um, 30% go to the GMX governance token holders, um, and it's paid out in ETH. Um, So if you wanted... So generally the yields are around 20 to 30%. Um, I think it's pretty consistently been there. Sometimes it goes like right down. Sometimes it goes back up. But it's like, depending on volatility in the market will generally determine what what level that's at. And that's, <clears throat> so for the every week, it, you get last week's, right? So this week, it's quite a lot because there was lots of volatility last week. Um, and so what Jones is trying to do is sort of say, well, you can have your ETH or BTC and we'll give you like a synthetic product which gives you the exposure up or down with that plus the sum of the yield um and it won't be precise right because sometimes there'll be like the GLP holders will make less money when the GMX when the sort of perpetual people buying the longs and shorts are Winning, um, but they usually they lose. Um, so it's usually fine for the for the um for the ETH side of things and ETH will kind of move along with that price. But then there's a bunch of people who don't want exposure to ETH and what they want is just stablecoin yield. Um and so what you can do is you can uh have people who have USDC and then they lend that out to the people who want to leverage their kind of um, their ETH yields and their um, GMX yields. And then they can use that to buy more GLP. Um, And it's sort of like this internal market. And then it's uh, they buy more GLP, but they get sort of they're covered in terms of the volatility of ETH and BTC. Um, And so they Get kind of that exposure to like the underlying um, uh, prices of those volatile assets, but then they, since they're just borrowing a rate, they can pay a good like yield, like five or six or seven or ten percent to the um, stablecoin holders, um, which comes out of that yield from um, the GMX and is paid out in USDC. How do I go, Nush? So,
1: I got to edit a few things. Um, so, your description of how the GMX stuff works, like GLP, whatever, uh, uh, GMX, the way it's paid out, basically, right, um, there are a couple different assets there. So, like, there's no compound, uh, but um, basically what you've got is a pool of roughly, so a target of about 50% stables a target of about 50% non-stables. And I think it's it's really important to point that out because it is a moving target. Um, and it's based on utilization. So so that's one thing that our product is really good at is that the utilization is something that other products may look at a little harder, but ultimately not be able to, to, to cover because um, there's no way to know that somebody's going to come in and just, do a 20x leverage on, you know, ETH for 5 million bucks. And suddenly you're under exposed uh, in other markets or potentially over hedged. Right. So, so that's a problem for competing products. As far as what they would do with us, really, it's it's
0: kind of a, it's a very simplistic. Sorry, sorry just with me with the, generally the other products out there in terms of getting leverage yeah. and yield is so, that they they get ahead. they try and match the longs and the shorts of the eth that are happening mm-hmm. in real time which seems insane to me but
1: so um, it's a little bit worse because they actually don't try and do it in real time <laughs> um and they're trying to be delta neutral when they're doing it or delta minimal so the idea is that they're trying to I've used this analogy, and I've re- repeated it with you before, but it's like they're trying to—they're really trying to hold this thing in a straitjacket, right? And, and it's difficult to do because the cost of—we call it cost of carry. So your cost of carry isn't the only factor, right? If it was just the cost to try and offset any delta, that's one thing that you'd have to think about. The problem is that. Um, When you have a moving target as to what you're actually trying to hedge, uh, it's almost impossible to do this thing properly. And what people try and do is they'll say, okay, well, over time, this is what the makeup has been of ETH and BTC and Uni and Link. But when you're in a delta neutral product, if you have a huge vol event, uh, you can completely ruin all of your gains, right? Can also go the other way. By the way, you could hedge properly, and then there's an oversaturation of, let's say, uh, ETH and BTC, and compared to GLP, you might outperform. But the point is, a product should do what it's supposed to do. And so, GLP is already roughly 50% stables. We said, why on earth would we want to put this thing in a box? It's already really low, really low beta compared to. Almost everything else in DeFi, right? So why not maximize the best thing that GLP does, which is it pays a great yield. Okay, so you take it and you leverage it. So we went through different ideations of this product, and the first one is we were gonna we we spoke with a few lenders, um, spoke to Vesta, spoke to some other folks, but ultimately, uh, I think we just we had really big aspirations for what we think this product could be. And we wanted to launch this product without some of the constraints that, you know, a lender might put on us, like the size of what they'd be willing to lend again. And so USDC being the largest stable coin in that pool of assets that people can uh, use for GLP, um, we thought, okay, so why don't we just take a percentage of the yields that in our leveraged GLP product and use them to pay JUSDC holders. Uh, And then that way they're able to say, okay, you know what? I, I have stable coins. I want to get a better rate than Aave. Or I have stable coins and I want to get a better rate than maybe some other farms, but those other farms, they pay out like, partially in USDC, but then they also pay out like another coin that maybe I'm not interested in and I've got to dump it. So we said, well, we'll just do the whole thing in real yield, okay? So everything is, so if, if you if you put in USDC for JUSDC, uh, you're gonna be rewarded with incentives that are USDC-denominated, okay? When we look back at the both the testing that we've done on the product so since inception modeling we've shock tested it uh we've done shock analysis so we even modeled out things like when ftx blew up we kind of modeled out how that would look we've done monte carlo testing on this thing um i joke that uh we have a colleague of ours who's in poland and it was quite cold there and uh we joke that he had the hottest house on the block because his He was running all these Monte Carlo sims on his computer. You could hear the fans in the background. Um, Yeah. uh, But, uh, you know, this is something where we said, "This, this is so simple. How has no one done this before? And, you know, look, it's not that simple, right? You have to try and figure out, okay, well, you have a leveraged product. How do you avoid liquidation? So
0: are you internalizing a sort of version of ave essentially right but your only asset that that you can you can borrow is jusdc and you have to spend it on leveraging up your glp is that so
1: not quite so so you're not actually borrowing when you're doing this you're, there's two vaults right so you are depositing usdc and getting jusdc in return which will earn a yield and if you want to remove your USDC from the vault. You go in, you do the withdrawal, and then you would get your uh, whatever you would be owed back. Um, Conversely, you would deposit any of the assets that you could use to mint or any of the tokens that you could use to mint GLP. And then you'll instead mint JGLP, which is the levered version. And then we have a bot that we built that uses more triggers than I would like to admit to determine uh, where we need JGLP to be based on market conditions and GMX health and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, And it will take that JGLP and you're going to be earning uh, leveraged GLP yield on top of a product that's going to basically, if you think about it in its simplest form, it's almost like it removes the stables from glp um and so when you do the math on it and you actually measure the beta of this thing the beta of it is somewhere in between bitcoin and eth right so if you're comfortable in your port holding naked eth let's say you're going to get naked eth roughly because remember it's going to go up or down roughly that because it's in the basket um plus you're going to get between 40 and 60% yields and those would be after fees and that's based on a historical that GLP since inception has earned about 25% yields so that's pretty compelling um, if you're I'm telling me i can that, hold yeah. if you're telling me i can hold eth roughly and, because you know like one of the big problems with these delta neutral products or even just naked GLP is you've got half the exposure right so so like eth has gone up okay if you were right yeah
0: right. some people and, want that but they most do. people either want stable or volatile right
1: yeah and i think one thing that's really nice about this too is you could make the argument that there are people that would be willing to hold eth if they could get a 40 to 60 percent coupon and they would just kind of sit through whatever is going to happen um, because they think ETH is good. Now, the question that you would have to ask yourself is, are we closer to a bottom, uh, or is this is there still a long way to go down, right? If you believe there's a long way to go down, then it's going to be very difficult for you to get a better return on your USDC. Um, we think MEV bots are going to eat this thing up with USDC because it's just very difficult to beat this type of yield. And further,
0: what's in, even interesting? So GLP so has sorry, like 400. No. I didn't. Did we? Did you say what the like um, sort of back-tested um, rate, like rate of earnings for the JUSDC was estimated? So
1: we see between six to eight percent, but there's a chance it could do more because there's some additional, um, there's some additional things that we haven't revealed yet <laughs> uh, that may funnel more into this product. Um, so, You could in some instances see ten percent prints on and again, this is just standard, you know, USD. This isn't like a pair where you've got to pair it with like something that's some other stable coin or like pair it with something else. Like this is just you put USDC in the vault, you get USDC back. um, and it's subordinate to the GLP side. So if you're willing to uh Take on smart contract risk of GMX and us. Our vaults are going to be audited. Uh, we're. It's the only reason we didn't release yet. Actually, is because the audit. We had to. We made some some changes after we got the audit back, and so we had to get those redone. So we should be done.
0: Very uh, important. No, this just so many uh, protocols yeah. have been tripped up by
1: not doing. Yeah.
0: Doing.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, again, we want this to be a product that scales. I mean, I. I I I believe my personal belief, I believe that and I'm using this in GLP terms, not USDC terms, but I think in terms of GLP, I think we could probably capture twenty to thirty percent of the GLP market, probably by the end of the year.
0: Um, Well, I assume that GL the GLP is going to grow, right? Because Products like this and similar similar ones, like maybe they're not as well um uh designed, but there there's gonna be a lot of pressure on those yields in GLP, in that there'll be a, more and more people wanting to access that yield and then that mm-hmm. the larger the market grows, it'll go up some, but I imagine the larger it gets the those some like in, diminishing return for. Glp holders, so and, it'll still and, like it allow more funny. trading, but there's only so much trading that's out there, right? So it's it's kind of funny, right? Because we were we we'd had this
1: conversation internally as well, and then we do the math and we saw that you know as GLPs available liquidity grew, the fees scaled higher, and I think what's happening here is that, and remember we're not in a great market right now, okay, and and the yields are very good. Um, the deeper liquidity that you get, the bigger moat that GMX is going to have with regards to bringing in traders of size who want to utilize decentralized perp trading. And look, GMX is not the cheapest platform out there. You could get cheaper perp trades with other folks. But nowhere will you find this level of liquidity. And you should charge for depth of liquidity. Now, if you're, uh, if you're a smaller trader and you, know, you want to trade smaller numbers and you're okay trying out some stuff that maybe isn't as battle-tested as GMX, you can get some great deals out there. But I think that the, the larger players that are using GMX know this. And I think they have an incredible product, and I think it's only going to continue. Now, with that said, let's say you're right. Let's say yields do compress. In my head, all that means is that the other products that are competing to try and hedge out delta exposure have an impossible challenge.
0: They have to do more trading to get you more fees, (laughs) Well,
1: Well, well, they have to do more with less. I mean, let's say yields compress down to 15% or 10%. Uh, they have to pay out their uh, their holders after hedging, and if they have a USDC model like we have, they have to pay them out too. So what's left? With us, we're leveraging, so we're, we're leaning into the best part. If you tell me there's 10% yields and I'm earning, let's say, 30% before fees, I'm, I'm not going to have my USDC depositors running for the hills because I'm still going to have incredible yields on all these products so
0: but does that really... affect the usdc holder to the yield does the so say i come with my usdc can i expect mm-hmm. between like six and eight even if mm-hmm. yields compress down to ten percent i would say if yields
1: compress down to ten percent um when we back tested that you were almost at five and we have five. something there that is also we are going to share very soon, once the <clears> audit's <throat> done, that you'll probably be over that in the six to eight range that we've been touting. Um, All right. The problem is that if I share it, it also talks oh, a little bit about... You know, well, ta- there, there's some There's some internal stuff that people don't really know about yet with regards to GMX, and so it's a little bit also up to them for us to be able to share some of that stuff. Oh, it's okay. not something they it's not something they told us it's more something we kind of figured out on our own mm-hmm. um, x4 is it uh though I can't wait for that that's gonna be awesome we um, oh something else all right yeah yeah x4 is going to be really cool because uh, even yeah. if they did get rid of Glp then you're basically just we we could actually break up the product and do Lps yeah. that'd be very cool um,
0: yeah. so x4 is the synthetics trading which is. Um, yeah, so so going to be somebody related, could do, probably early feb i would say yeah so
1: what somebody could do is they could say okay i want to create a synth pool for of glp let's say and it would include ohm eve die whatever you could be an lp or in there you could utilize it ohm could utilize it there's all kinds of cool stuff that could be done there so like um you know ohm could actually use it um if, if they wanted to uh to get into that game. Pretty neat. Yeah. Very cool.
0: Um, all right. So um, we just chatted a little bit about Olympus. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on like the kind of treasury manager and the process they're going through now. Um, if if you're willing to share um, and then sort of, um, uh, yeah, we can chat more about sort of bonds and whether or not you've, <laughs> partaken in the sort of 180 day um, bonds and what what do you think of the upcoming release of sort of um, these longer term bonds and what what impact they might have
1: sure so I think going back to the treasury manager piece I, I think uh I mean I'll, I'll just like full disclosure like I've I've thrown my had to just ah, even say
0: hey, I didn't well know that well, well well
1: to say look not not to manage per se right but more to like say hey if you need somebody to interview people uh, given my background and stuff I'd be happy to talk to them. You know, if you want another person to talk to somebody, yeah. I mean, I think it'd be too conflicty of interest if I threw my hat in. Mm. that be because <laughs> I believe I believe we have products that would be like too good for OM oh, not to have in some sort of sleeve. So then I would immediately be conflicting myself. But mm. um, I, look, I think this is something that <coughs> I, I, uh, could only be good to do this type of thing. I just really hope that they have the uh, resources and autonomy to to kind of run a bit you know and, and and put some stuff out in front of the community and um really help kind of keep the treasury healthy and i think that that's something that um you know if we had done this earlier um you know maybe maybe we would have a, a different outlook on things or maybe we'd be doing things a little differently uh with regards to uh, the whole roadmap right i mean it, things change when you have time um ohm has a ton of time that it's bought uh because of the size of the treasury um, but i think it's you know with regards to things like long-term bonds and things like that all of these decisions in some way, shape, or form, because of the way that Ohm is built and what it's supposed to represent, go back to having a strong treasury that kind of has promises made and promises kept with regards to its, you know, the range balance stability. The treasury is very important for, for operations. So, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully, I, I think someone had said it was going to be one person and then like an analyst. I think they could probably use more than that but and then uh, the coder i think as
0: well okay i think they're, that's good. they're just going to be full-time right so they'll still be very they much they have to be yeah, yeah. in yeah. in touch with like shadow and abby and um the the rest of the council as well um i think so one thing that i really want to see done is we have this like 50 million dollars of fracks and then there's the FRAX base pool, which if it blows up, it's a protocol dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so essentially, like, if you're not putting it in that, then you're not getting the risk-free rate of FRAX, right? Which is currently, like, 4%, right? Um, and, you know, you don't want to be dumping your partner's token or whatever of yeah. the FSS. But, I mean, like, we're just... We're just sort of sitting on it. It's sitting there. It's not doing anything. Well, <laughs> you far far it.
1: be it, far be it <laughs> from me to be, uh, you know, Im- impartial when it comes to matters of uh, treasury management. But I will tell you that um, there I would are... prefer
0: it in USDC yield, no doubt. But.
1: Well, we have a product for that. But uh, <laughs> I, I, w- I would say this. Uh, you know, my biggest problem with FRAX is not FRAX and it's not SAM. It's just regulatory risk. Um, you've got a U.S.-based doxxed founder uh, who is a figurehead in the community. And look, he, he hasn't done anything wrong. And everything I'm seeing out of him is A+. plus. And I think he's an incredible guy. It's just, you know, you have to, and this is something I hope the treasury manager will look at too, is just, you know, you have to kind of size that risk and say, okay, like this is the maximum I'd want to have in this particular place. Uh, Same thing with USDT, right? Like, um, look, I don't really know a lot of reasons to necessarily own USDT over USDC um but it, i could be convinced if the yields were high enough and i believe that it fit into a sleeve that made sense
0: Um I to mean, your point I guess, I guess the issue is we don't have that many other options right like well you know, there's die, <laughs> but die now has all this uh, like 20 real world asset
1: risk right which is well you know th- this is this again is where and i've said this be- before to you I think both in public and in private, you know, for a while we were the the biggest, for a while I think we had more dye than there was dye available in an LP on ETH. So, you know, in, in essence, Olympus had has this overexposure to die. I get why dye is a good thing to hold because it really is kind of like a, an amalgamation. But, you know, that that's something that when you're big enough, you could just create that on your own. And you don't really need DAI to do that for you. I don't want to take on wrapper risk and third-party risk when I could just make my own version of DAI. What I would be looking at doing would be taking a look at some of the ETH derivative stuff that's out there, like the Frax ETH, the Wrap Staked ETH, the Lido stuff, um, because I think those are great. You're in some great yields, and I think you take some combination of, of those and leg them into your strategy, because ultimately it makes... Uh, LPing uh, with OHM uh, have just in general a higher uh, rate. I mean, OHM has cut its AP, uh, APY uh, considerably. Uh, and so now you can start to look at other assets to LP against where you're not walking into impermanent loss. And so I think it makes a ton of sense to take a look at some of these assets. Um, but I, I, I also think that having a really strong lending market is something that olympus maybe should take a look at with regards to uh earning more yield and i know they've done some things where you know they've got balancer pools they've got fracks pools but you know pushing pushing ohm into those uh uh, categories of being a huge lender um Opening up these these lending pools, I, I would love it if Om um, took some of that on itself, almost like yeah. a frac style. Yeah, because because that's a source of revenue that is uh, very reasonable, and no one's saying that hey, they have to have this huge value at risk. But um, you know, I think sometimes you have to kind of build it and then hand the keys yeah. off. I think they did a great job with the way that they handed off Bond Protocol. Um, I talked to Big Fish Joe a lot. I think he's great. I've handed him a ton of referrals um and look i think the bond stuff is great um you know i think i would love it if we saw a lending protocol kind of come about and then eventually it gets spun off and you know that's it i think
0: uh i think, I, uh, I, I, I max think that's right yeah has uh, some big plans for that i i, I i'm
1: <laughs> I, love, I, I love max i, You're I really do, I really do. Um, um, he had, I he would, had a decent launch, too, recently. He had something come about recently. I saw it on Twitter.
0: Uh, Fiat um, 2. So they're merging with Bond Protocol, and then they're going to launch Fiat 2, which is going to allow you to borrow against your own bonds, um, the, especially the long-dated ones. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting. Um, are you guys looking at a product around um, own bonds? so we we had
1: <laughs> we actually had kind of like a suite of products that we uh were working on and kind of pitching to the team but um I guess somewhere in the negotiations uh that maybe just wasn't a good fit for 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 the parties, so we kind of uh, left it at that. But I think, um, you know, look, it, 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 there's always a possibility of, of kind of doing, doing more together. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we had a pretty interesting product, I think, where we were going to kind of, uh, the goal of the product essentially was to take the, uh, uh mint and sink feature with Frax and, um, use that to then enter into bonding um, with the goal of putting a pretty consistent amount of buy pressure on Ohm. So like uh, the way we'd modeled it out, it was going to be like half a million dollars worth of, uh, I'll, I'll use die, I guess, in Ohm buy pressure every month. Mm. Um, if we were to, uh, and, and it would have started after about six or seven months, depending on uh the term of the bonds that we were going to use but um yeah just I, I i think maybe there was a little bit of hesitation on some of the stuff that, that we were putting out there but uh you know look i mean Ohm is very risk averse um i get it um we thought about putting a product out there but we, we really would have needed uh om to kind of whitelist everything
0: mm.
1: and while we could have maybe like taken it to governance anyway i, I think it's really important to kind of have everybody at the table agree with the vision of the product? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to do something with Max. I mean, God, give me a reason to work with Max. So. <laughs>
0: well, I'm you know, sure he's got what's lots of, uh, ideas about. He loves. He's obsessed with fixed income. I think you uh
1: <laughs> Yeah. You see this? Both in that you see this nugget about somebody bringing treasuries online uh
0: in DeFi, do you see that yeah Ondo are doing it and then yeah, there's another Ondo. people who are using like an offshore market to do it kyc list that's all oh kyc list so,
1: yeah what do you what do you think I'll, I'll about it, the
0: Ondo yeah. piece i mean it's just like' <laughs> it's, it's so much regulatory risk right like yeah. I mean if you if you if you like i think it's good right because it'll In the comments, he called it a
1: security, and I was like, well, first, that's not
0: for you to decide, Uh, but jeez. So it's only going to be whitelisted KYC, U.S.-based people who were able to do it anyway, right? So essentially, you're just introducing smart contract risk to owning bonds, which if you're U.S.-based and, uh, you know, of a sufficient size, you can do through a broker anyway, right? So –
1: I said the same thing. We were having this conversation. I think uh, DCF God had retweeted it, saying it was interesting. And I remember I replied underneath them and I said, "I, I don't know why somebody would introduce third-party risk, smart contract risk, because I don't know, Ando. I mean, they could just rug you." Um, I think, yeah, and custodial risk into the risk-free market.
0: Well, I think the, I think, you know, you start here, and then you get leverage, right? <laughs> I maybe I don't know yeah. um, so you uh, access it, you then bring it on and then you uh, have it somewhere somebody who isn't able to access the market is able to provide you with um, leverage even though they can't liquidate it, something like that right but like
1: it's, it's a way it too. I mean, they say it's not, but like,
0: that's the value, right? To bring it on and give it access to the wider market.
1: Yeah, because the the first thing in my head was, okay, so they're going to, as soon as it goes into an LP, then that's how they're going to get it to be prolific on chain, but there's no token.
0: I think it's an NFT, right? Which is your position? I don't don't know. Maybe
1: either way, if it's an NFT, (laughs) uh,
0: I don't know. It's... It'll be interesting. I think it's just a first step. People say, why is this? You know, but there's always a plan behind it. It's not just sort of, um, you know, th- that first piece of the puzzle. But I think... I'll say some... this. If it was the actual bills, I would
1: actually be more interested. It's, unfortunately, it's just the ETFs. It's through BlackRock, yeah. Yeah. I wish it was the bills. If it was the actual T-bills,
0: that actually, be, I think that'd be more interesting. Um, Yeah. Well, I think like that's where USDC goes, right? They tokenize. Eventually, they just tokenize that, right? Like, or or have some sort of um, USDC um, risk-free rate that you can just pop it in, and and that'll just. I mean, if somebody's listening
1: who wants to do it, feel free to take USDC and then uh, use it to buy short-term. Um, just put it. Just put it in <laughs> short-term treasuries, and then put that on chain, and now you've got wrap staked USDC. That's, There's your yeah,
0: product, right? <laughs> your well, product. I mean, effectively, it allows the US to offshore all these people who you are like, who you are asking who are going to buy these bonds, right? I mean, they're out there; they just don't live in the US or yeah, are able to access the market. I think. Uh...
1: I, th- I think the biggest part of the problem is that uh, you've got to find a custodian that's willing to do this without KYC's and I don't, you know, it's like, the, who do you, like, would you rather KYC with, you know, XYC firm or would you rather do it with like Fidelity? You know, it's like, for me, I would trust Fidelity because not only that, but they have this really excellent uh, custodial program that they're building out uh, for crypto. Um, we should mm-hmm. definitely take a look at it. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, kind of like what BNY melon does. Um, but you have to be a whale for that and, I'm uh, mm-hmm. not a whale. So. <laughs> well,
0: I think eventually they do bring them on chain, right? Like these people who sell you the, the money market at least mm-hmm. like, and then they just come on and say, well, if you KYC, we'll sell you this and you can buy it at like a, you know, $1,000 clips or whatever, cause there is, there is market out there. And it's Mm -hmm. so much easier than going through there. Like it would be easier to do if you have USDC and you're like, here's my KYC. I'm going to trade my USDC on chain for your whatever um, money market USDC. And I'm earning 2%, 3%, whatever it is. And they take, they clip the ticket, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, So just one more issue, Nush, and I'll let you go after this. But the staking rate for Ohm, my position is that the staking rate is dumb and we should get rid of it and they should just have rolling weekly bonds and that can be your kind of risk-free rate and it can be like short-term risk-free rate and that can be like 2% or 3% paid out. But like we're actually... Don't achieve very much by keeping all this ohm off the market for seven percent, because what we want is liquidity. Mm-hmm. So, do you do you think seven percent is is the right rate for just staking ohm? or what are your thoughts around that? If you, um, if you have any, I'm think, sure you do. <laughs> so, so
1: I think you have to. I, I'll, I'll say this: I think that if range-bound stability proves itself over time to be a reliable mechanism for the stability in the price of Ohm, I think that having 7% in... 7% is the rate that you're going to pay is probably... In this market, probably still a little cheap. I think it should be a little bit higher. Why? Um, I think that by having a higher rate, I think what you actually do is you encourage the lending market. Um, I think that you can... Oh, you mean the so borrowing against your own? Yes. Yeah, because I, I think the problem is that if you if you if you have if you're at seven percent, um, there is a if you're at seven percent right now, y- you have to really think about okay like is the risk reward of me borrowing against this asset high enough for me to make this type of you know A B decision? I think that when you start to get into the low double digit rates like you know 10 12% something like that you start to have a real okay this is an asset that i want to compound and if i'm considering that ohm is real yield okay um, i want to be able to compete with a similar yield profile um, maybe that's redacted's token where they're giving butterfly rewards out Uh, it's like eight to 9% maybe I'm, I'm just thinking about our peers, right? And so I think that one of the things that Ohm has that others don't is that it has this range amount stability piece in there. Plus it has this ability to be lent out. There are lending markets. We just need to see proliferation of that. And I think it starts at the protocol level. I know that was one of the big things that we had tried to do when we were doing Incubator was we wanted to get home in everybody's treasuries so that they could either use it or they could borrow against it. Um, and so I think that what needs to happen really is is probably more more of that, just more of people willing to take Ohm in as collateral because the the ability... the perspective of home first at
0: least so, that's what, I'm thinking. what about the flip side of that which is no one wants to borrow OM or use it as a kind of money if they have to pay seven percent a year to borrow it right
1: so so i think part of this is also what what you're saying um In the past, why would I want to borrow against my own when I'm earning 900%? Why would I want to borrow against my own when I'm earning 200%? I'm paid to do nothing, so why would I bother doing something? In fact, it would would be like different behavior where people would leverage it up. This is a different animal, though, because if I am going to have this 10% rate um, that I can wrap in, um, I can offset my borrow cost potentially. Seven's pretty low though. Um,
0: seven is pretty low for our- but Then aren't you just getting leverage, right? Like, doesn't that just mean that there's going to be a bunch of people who go out and leverage it? And if the protocol's providing the stable coins to facilitate that leverage, it, you know, makes money off it um but it's not actually doing anything it's not getting liquidity out into trading pairs it's not it's not ohms not a useful asset to borrow no one's going to borrow it if they but, have to pay 10% to borrow it
1: right Unless, it's a useful it's a useful asset to lp against because if you can if you can lp against something that has a similar yield structure as something that's a major pair Then you can create instances where illiquidity or impermanent loss is minimized.
0: Well, if it's against GeoM, but if it's against Ohm and Ohm's deflating, I mean, inflating at 10% a year or 7% a year, then it's actually like if you have, if you're a protocol and you've got the flex loan, then that's fine, right? Because you've got your Ohm on the back, but like it's actually people people don't people don't want to use it as an asset to provide liquidity if it is at ten percent or seven percent or I would say five percent, right? Like I would say if you're if we're paying you to do something, which is keep it off the market, then you should actually keep it off the market for a period of time that's not sort of immediate right like
1: i've i've always had this kind of duality of thought when it comes to what should happen with ohm and bonds because when you think about bonding you're putting usdc or whatever token into the treasury you're getting this six month long-term payout
0: oh sorry i don't mean external bonds i mean bonds for ohm, right like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah
1: so 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 you know you're getting this external payout right and it was I always thought it was a bit counter to what needed to happen because I felt like, okay, you take the, this, these dollars, you put them into the treasury, and then the idea is that the treasury would be more productive with those assets. Therefore, they're able to create inflation with home. Instead, because, I mean, hopefully the treasury manager works on this, uh, because it wasn't as productive as, like let's say, the risk-free rate in the market. Then you actually didn't have the uh, desired effect, right? So you had more inflation than there was deflationary forces, and so you had um, kind of a mismatch. Now you take your own, you kind of bond it in. I think that, you know, it's, it's good that you're able to earn these things, but I, I would, I would, I almost feel like I would rather. I think the, the lending market the, the lending market that Max is trying to spin up fixes a lot of this because to me I, I want more ohm out there than I want less Ohm. I want a lot more ohm because that's the way to create a prolific environment for lending is, is just through maximum maximal liquidity. And because you have this range bound stability, there's gonna be an arb trade in there for both sides where you can come in and say, okay, we're above or below where we should be. There's a buy wall here or a sell wall here, so I'm going to front run that trade. And I think that people will, over time, intelligently do that as long as it holds true. I just I think that y- you still have to get people in the front door. And I think that seven, seven is very close to the risk-free rate in DeFi that I would consider that were... I mean, like, you have a choice. You can have Ohm or you can have JUSDC. They're non-comparable assets, but they have similar yield structure. You have to but make
0: the decision. But the, yeah, I mean, but the... Yeah, I suppose... Well, like, yeah. Like what so USDC, everyone thinks it's real yield, right? right? But right. it's not because we've got... The, Higher inflation than five percent right. anyway. So, right? so that's so, why you if you
1: have owned and, that people would consider to be real yield and mm. you're earning more of it, suddenly you've created this better money good asset people consider mm. real yield. And look, like you said, the way to do that is you start it at, at a number that's higher. We've done this before, right? You start at the higher number and you compress down. Except in this case, instead of compressing down because of um you know, a schedule or something like that, more so, you would schedule or you would compress down simply due to demand. And it's better when it's done that way because if more people sell, then the value goes up of the yield because it's, you know, it's more attractive and then more people buy in. Mm. And so you just end up with a, a much more natural curve for this thing. Um, but I do think that, I think Ohm was onto something when it came to redemptions and bonding. Um, I think there's tech there that needs to be explored further and there's protocols Mm -hmm. that need to build on top of it because I do think if you can end up with these NFT lending positions that have some level of repayment built in, maybe that's democratizing flex loans to a degree, which I think is something that should happen. Yeah. Um, Then I think you end up with a much better place.
0: Yeah. So the bonds are now tokenized so you can actually trade the – 180, 90, and 30 day, they've got markets on Uniswap. Yeah. Um you just
1: you just need deep liquidity in those markets.
0: Yeah. Deep. Yeah. That's or someone willing or you like an auction mechanism, which is I think what Max's protocol does. It says, All right, well if you if you, you know, fall out of your loan to value, we're gonna auction it off in a defining price auction until someone buys it, right? So if it's like mm-hmm. a bond yielding whatever um, then then there'll be a buyer for it somewhere, right? Because we know that there are already operating markets selling bonds. Um, but yeah, it'll be like I think the sort of a vault with rolling one eighty day bonds at different um uh expiries is is probably like a interesting product anyway Naj, the you've uh, actually made me have a like crisis that I've just realized <laughs> that everyone uh says that that they're earning real yield on their USdc but actually you do need to take in account uh, inflation in the same way that ohm has the sort of base rate of inflation um and you're just getting more ohm, it's just that one's a much more closed system and you notice it um more and the other one is kind of this very open system but you actually don't don't think about it sometimes that yes the u.s government in fact is just printing money um <laughs> and there is a risk free rate which is below the inflation rate currently yeah. um, and, and your
1: hurdle rate is, is so important and you have to think about what can I get if I do nothing, meaning treasuries, or what can I do if I take risk. Yeah, and that's that's the key. And I think that again, I think Ohm, because of its treasury. I, that's why I think the most the key the most key hire that, that can happen with Ohm is getting the treasury manager right. And so, if that can be done the right way, and can bring in the right level of. Uh, thought and due diligence into the process uh sky's the limit because now suddenly you end up with something that is considered real yield um yeah. you completely change the dynamic of, of that term in DeFi. so yeah so I'm,
0: it's I'm, 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 I'm looking again. forward to it yeah so if the treasury is actually earning and then you're paying out seven but the treasury is earning five or three or two or whatever, you can offset that, definitely. Yeah.
1: Well I, I want to see it on its head. I want to see I want to see the Treasury earning ten or twelve. Um and, yeah. I wanna see the treasury earning ten or twelve and the way that you do that is probably not from low value activities. It's probably from things that you charge people in fees and, and then also farming and the combination of all of that you end up with margin. That's yeah. how you're able to grow.
0: I that's saw the i love the Temple guys levered up on the uh, FPI the other day, taking a bet. <laughs> I don't think they won, but yeah, there's there's more out there doing things. But
1: <laughs> I the, the 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 guy that's running their treasury now, um, he's a former TradFi guy. Um, I don't know that he's doxed or not, but he's he's a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. And um, I know they've had their share of problems, but I, you know, look, they have a big, big treasury and I think they're going to get it right. I hate to say yeah. it. <laughs> I hate to say it. No, but that... th- these guys don't usually get as far as he has in TradFi because he's not a schlub and get it wrong here. Yeah. I know it's I, um... easy to do because it's easy yeah. to treat TradFi like D5 but I think he'll
0: be okay. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a. Yes, I own some Temple myself. I'm following their project uh, closely. <laughs> yeah, um, there's uh, a, there's
1: there's a good podcast called uh, Market Capping, and it's uh, run by uh, small cap and uh, D, uh, small cap and DCS. Uh, DCS, yeah, no yeah. One. And um, you know, they were talking about Temple the other day, and um, it's mm-hmm. worth a listen. So last episode that they just did. They actually talk about the uh, CBE Tharp, but um, yeah, they talk about uh, home, they talk about Temple. One of the cool things that they do is they actually mention, you know, one of the great things about being in Olympus and products like Olympus and, you know, like in this case Temple is that they take a lot of the DD and stuff that you would have to do as a user and they put it into what you're buying when you're, you know, when you're buying HOME. Yeah, exactly. They're doing a lot of that for you so it's, mm. it's quite quite an interesting perspective i actually had never seen anybody levy that mm. uh, levy that compliment on olympus before so i thought <laughs> it was quite nice
0: yes uh the other podcast i would follow nudge is uh bell curve which is uh the blockworks macro guys and the guys from framework um it's oh, yeah. very good yeah yeah i think you'd like it okay I'm, I'm always um, looking
1: for things to listen to while I'm... Uh, while babysitting. Yeah. Yeah, babysitting? Yeah, babysitting, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know.
0: Um, and they can also... We can also listen to Hats Off. Uh yes. Is there a new episode coming out soon?
1: Yes. The only reason why we kind of were waiting is because, like I said, we kind of wanted to, like, uh, make the announcement of, of uh, uh, their launch, but then we had to go for another round of audit, so we figured yeah, out. we'll just... Do it in the new year, so I'm sure in the next week you'll you'll get a Hats off, which mm. could coincide with something else that's important.
0: So. Very good. <laughs> hats off is uh the Jonesdale podcast with the Jonesdale contributors. Uh and they talk about macro and their products and kind of their thinking around how they operate in DeFi. Um and you can follow uh Narch on Twitter. He's at N A C H underscore two one one. Uh, Nutch is a former contributor to Olympus or Allround Macro Guy and current contributor to Jones and Friend of Agora, of course. And
1: uh, Jones is a former, well, I guess former.
0: Current, current partner of Olympus.
1: Yeah, I was going to say an
0: incubatee. That's right. <laughs> incubatee. All right, we'll get, get yourself. we'll get you some. We'll get you some. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm aware of the problem now. I'll see that, <laughs> see that. See that something we gotta do something together, you know. We can't have this situation. Um all right, cool. Well uh we'll be back next week for another spaces. Um I'll give you a little alpha leak here. We have a new host for the interview of the week. Um a very familiar voice around Olympus. Uh he lives in a shell. Um and he'll be coming out with the the first Interview of the week should be out next week. Um, and then we're going to also try and have a roundtable discussion podcast style um, with uh, our Agora's friends. Um, and that will kind of be like a chopping block. Have you listened to Chopping Block, Nash? It's the... No. no. Oh, it's very good too. you me a couple. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, it's uh, Unchained, so it's like Laura Shin's uh, shop. Uh, but it's um like media shop but it's the kind of robot ventures so uh Tarun and Chitra and um Robert um from Compound and then also the Dragonfly guys and they just sit there and they like like talk about what's happening it's like very funny especially like Turun who's like sometimes very uh very speaks his mind about people in the industry so i think you would like it a lot um but yeah so I'll we'll like try it. and get we'll try and get like a little bit like that like pre-flowing conversation between friends about uh what's going on in the market um but yeah and we'll have these uh regular spaces uh, this one's just to kick us off but you know in future, we'll have a bit more audience participation, um, and sort of more be speaking, shooting the breeze about mostly Olympus. Um, but yeah, thanks, Nach, for coming out, and thanks everyone for tuning in. This will be uploaded on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, till next time, Momies. See ya,
1: Momies.
0: <laughs> Welcome. <laughs>
1: he said it <laughs> we can all we can all leave now
0: <laughs> all you right it, everybody see ya bye